This is Ethics and Etiquette, a thought-provoking discussion about everyday dilemmas. Our goal here is to offer you insights and perspectives on sticky situations so you can better examine your choices and exercise your own ethical muscles. I'm your host, Marna Ashburn. Let me introduce the two members of the team, wife, mother, and attorney, Kelly Halligan-Zimmerman. Hi, Kelly. Hi, Marna. Hi, Mike. Hello, everybody. And Mike Derrick, a retired Army officer, combat vet, and father of four. Good morning, Mike. Hey, good morning, everybody. Good morning to all our listeners, and welcome to 2021. Let's hope it's a little bit better year than 2020. Today is an etiquette quick hit day as we ease you and ourselves into the new year with some fairly straightforward scenarios. Traffic is the name of the game, specifically crosswalks and roundabouts. So let's get started with a good question I poached from reddit.com about crosswalk etiquette. Quote, many pedestrians seem to think that crosswalks give them the right to just walk out in the middle of traffic without even looking. Many motorists see someone standing at a curb on a busy street and slam on their brakes to allow pedestrians not in the crosswalk to cross. In my opinion, the crosswalk should be for pedestrians to cross when traffic is clear, and if a vehicle then approaches while someone is in said crosswalk, then that vehicle is required to stop. So, two things here, Kelly. What does in the crosswalk mean? Does it mean standing on the curb by the crosswalk, standing in the street, breaking the plane with your foot? What does in the crosswalk mean? That's kind of a tough question, Marna. (laughs) As you said, pedestrians have the right of way, right? Which makes sense. I mean, even if a pedestrian's in the middle of the road, they sort of have the right of way because you're not going to hit them right? I mean, you don't want to just hit them and be like, well, I'm in the right. Yeah, that's Um, never a good idea. (laughs) Yeah, I I recommend against that. Drivers have to yield. I guess there's two kinds of crosswalks, right? Marked and unmarked. And the marked, obviously, are the, you know, large white lines. And I know laws vary from state to state, um, and even from locality to locality. But generally, the crosswalks are, you know, a certain width and obviously the length, the length of the width of the road. And as long as the pedestrian is within that area, you know, they're protected. As far as at an intersection, you know, sometimes intersections do not have marked crosswalks, but that is still considered an unmarked crosswalk, which I know is is strange. But just when you look at different laws, I just looked at two states, Pennsylvania and Virginia, and they both referred to marked and unmarked crosswalks. So, you know, what that width is that you have to respect, I, I don't know the specific answer. To me, it's common sense. You know, if there's a pedestrian in that area at an intersection with an unmarked crosswalk, you have to yield to them. Does that answer your question? (laughs) Yes. That was interesting to me as I was doing research for this show. I didn't know that there were unmarked crosswalks. I figured they're either painted on and you respect them or there's no crosswalks and devil get the hindmost if you're a pedestrian. But really, any intersection has crosswalks, especially if there's a traffic signal. Right. And I should say, like, in Pennsylvania, they refer to marked and unmarked crosswalk at an intersection. In Virginia, I think they probably do a better job because they just talk about yielding the right of way to any pedestrian crossing a highway. And they specifically tell you how to yield, which is common sense. You've got to stop and remain stopped. That's what Um, yielding means. Yep. (laughs) And remain stopped. Okay. (laughs) Yep. Until the pedestrian passes, right? And then they talk about a marked crosswalk. And then they also talk about an intersection. And they don't describe it as marked or unmarked. They just talk about an intersection, you know, yielding the right of way to the pedestrian. And of course, as I said, 
in many states, localities can pass ordinances with regard to drivers stopping for pedestrians, etc. Yeah, that's a good point, Kelly, and I want to make sure we emphasize that. Check the rules and regulations of your locality, because it is state by state, and the rules vary slightly. Right, but I, I still think it's just common sense. Like, it is. Yeah. Don't run people over. <laughs> yeah. And my question, in the crosswalk, I think it used to mean purely somebody standing in the crosswalk, which is kind of a dangerous place to be if you're not sure the cars are going to yield. And so I hear read now that they're changing it to somebody standing on the curb at the crosswalk, which is a safer place, or breaking the plane with your toe. That's in the crosswalk, standing, waiting to cross at a crosswalk. Yeah, I mean, I don't know that we need to get that technical. Uh, when well, it, I think we might need to. <laughs> <laughs> I know, when, when we talk about the law, we are very technical, right? And we look at elements and statutes, etc. But and I, I got to stop saying et cetera. <laughs> Delete that, <laughs> Marna. Anyways, yeah, but it's really just common sense, right? It really is. And it's also common courtesy. You know, if, you, if you're approaching a crosswalk and you see somebody on the sidewalk and it's a marked crosswalk, just stop and let them cross. That's the courteous thing to do, right? Now, it's different at, at an intersection. If I have a green light, I plan on traveling through the intersection. I mean, obviously, if somebody's out in the road, I'm going to stop for them. But, you know, if they have their toe down on the curb, I, you know, as long as I'm not near them, I'm not stopping. That's going to be more dangerous, right? If they have the stop and you have the go. Correct. Yeah, obey all, all traffic signals. Now, where I live, we have a bike path that kind of snakes around the area and crosses roads. And at some of the crosswalks, are striped and some are not striped and I wondered what the difference was do you know Kelly what do you mean um, like I'm not following like they call the zebra crosswalks the big broad hash marks through the crosswalk yep some of them have the big broad cross marks and some of them don't some of them just have two parallel lines I see what you mean so it's got the the lines to the right and the left but nothing running horizontally perpendicular yeah you know i assume that's a crosswalk as well i know in looking at virginia law they didn't have any defined terms when it came to crosswalks as far as what qualifies as a crosswalk and what doesn't so i would consider that a marked crosswalk i mean bikes get a little crazy though they do they don't i find in our area here in pennsylvania a lot of the bikes just you know they want to be on the roads and they want to you know ride with the traffic and you end up on these country roads with 15 bikes that are taking up a lane and have to try to pass and there's hills and you know they, they think they have the right away yet when you're driving with them and you get to a red light and you stop they they go flying through it um which, really that's oh, not yeah. safe. Yeah. Oh, I, yeah. It's, cyclists, it's, uh, I'm, I'm a cyclist, so uh, I want to get that out there right up front. They often think themselves above traffic signals, especially when they're clipped in, like their feet are attached to the pedals. They don't want to put a foot down. And uh, mm-hmm. so stopping is like, oh, can't do that. can get a little hairy. I think the penultimate example of that is the bike messenger in a large, crowded urban area, and they totally ignore Those folks are dangerous. All traffic conventions and lights and signals and everything else and sidewalks. They've actually killed a pedestrian on a sidewalk. Oh, I'm sure. Hitting them at full speed. Yeah, Yeah, and they also, like, they'll get really angry at you if if you get in their way. Right, right. uh, They frequently act outraged. Yeah, they're cutthroat. 
What are you I'm doing sure there? there are some good ones out there, but, you know, I tell you, most bikes, bike messengers are uh, pretty single-minded. Yeah, Virginia even has, you know, Marna, about your bike example, the statute in Virginia, uh, I'll throw it out there in case people really want to look it up. Ha-ha, it's 46.2924. Uh, <laughs> oh, I do, Kelly, I do. Okay. <laughs> the link to that. Yeah, yeah, but it has a it has a subsection that says that a local governing body may, by ordinance, require pedestrian cyclists and any other users of, of a shared used path to come to a complete stop prior to entering a crosswalk. And if you don't, you get a $100 fine. Well, wow. up to a $100 wow. fine. So complete stop, that means unclipping, right? Absolutely, yeah. Mm-hmm. You'd have to do that. And I suspect, you know, there's usually a, a legislative history for each statute that it may relate to, you know, aggressive cyclists. Yeah. So, Mike, you want to jump in here? You know, I guess the thing that strikes me about crosswalks in our country, and, you know, I, I've lived all over the world, so I've seen how we handle pedestrians in Asia and Europe and also the United States, but is just the huge variety of approaches. And uh, so I think the governing principle for people, all of our listeners out there, is that you kind of have to go by the local rules. So I'll give you two examples on opposite ends of the of the spectrum. One is some of these big, sprawling, suburban commercial areas designed and built in the 60s, where there is no allowance made for pedestrians at all. There are no sidewalks. There are no crosswalks. It's assumed that if you're not in a car, you probably shouldn't be there. You know, I used to travel a lot with the military, and sometimes we'd get put in a hotel out in one of these places, and, you know, so you don't have a car, and you got to walk to, you know, whatever, a little exercise or go find a, a place to eat. And it, it's like a combat zone, you know, getting across some of these intersections where there are no allowances made for pedestrians. So we still have a lot of that in our country, and I'm sure both you guys have seen that. Oh, yeah, I've seen it in Tennessee. You can and wait for a long time to cross one of those crosswalks right. if you're a pedestrian. And, well, not and if you're if you a city s- person, you just go out there. Well, yeah, but, you know, some of us aren't, Kelly. Although I do, I do love to exercise my rights in a pedestrian crosswalk <laughs> and step out and just stare down the driver and say, okay, go ahead and hit me, brother. My yeah. mom's like that. I, I mean, she's older now, but she grew up in New York City. And I'll tell you what, walking through a city with her is harrowing. I mean, <laughs> uh, That's it, right. it is That's just right. frightening. She's just like right out there. And, Especially um, if they have the light, okay? And you're trying to sneak through or... <laughs> yeah, she's just with her New York accent. You know, I'm right. Yeah. I'm like, Mom, you know, you might be right, but you could also be dead. But <laughs> right. the, yeah, There is the law of gross that. tonnage out there. Yeah. yeah. Got to respect yeah. that. That's right. If you're right and dead, I guess that's... Right and dead, yeah. Yeah, I was going to jump in there and say, you know, the other end of the spectrum. So you have these areas where there's, you know, no thought given whatsoever to the pedestrian. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you've got kind of... I think of one of these little tourist towns kind of things or even a, a, a town which really wants to emphasize and optimize its downtown and its shopping and things. And they have crosswalked it to death so that the cars are, you know, they are beaten into submission. If you're a pedestrian, you own the sidewalk, you own the road. There are crosswalks everywhere. There's like a standing temporary sign in the middle of the crosswalk. So between the two lanes of traffic, you know, in a bright uh, neon color that says yield, you know, at all times yield to um, pedestrians. Until it gets hit by a car. That's right. And smashed. 
I mean, I think of a um, place in Colorado we used to spend a lot of time, Breckenridge. And Breckenridge has this lovely little main street. They've purposely made it difficult for vehicles. They want vehicles to drive around it. And there is a good option to drive around Main Street. Like in so many things, we're a country of great contrast. Yeah, and that brings up a good point, which is whether you're a pedestrian or whether you're a driver, be awake, be aware, slow down, and have situational awareness for what's going on. I have a story to tell you about myself when I was a pedestrian getting ready to cross the street at a crosswalk, and I got the traffic light graphic, the green one, to go ahead and cross. I stepped out into the crosswalk, and somebody who was driving in the cross traffic had the brilliant idea to step on the gas and speed through a red light and came within inches of me when I was in the crosswalk. Now, I should have looked both ways before I stepped into the crosswalk, and I would have seen him. But it was a really close call. So he was wrong. I was wrong. Well, you weren't wrong. You were following the letter of the law. But yes, I mean, you you were. I was right and near dead. Yeah, you want (laughs) to. Not a good place to be, (laughs) Mara. Not where I want to be. Not where I want to be. I will yield. Yeah, I mean, looking both ways is is key. I mean, even. I'm sorry, I don't, I don't mean to interrupt, Mike. What I no, was no, going to say ahead. is, you know, even at large intersections, just from practicing law and being aware of the terrible accidents that occur, if I'm the first person at a light and, and I'm sitting at a red light at a very large intersection, when that light changes to green, I usually will sit for a beat or two. And I'll look usually both ways just to be sure that we don't have a situation that yeah, you just described right. because mm-hmm. I've seen so many mm-hmm. tragic personal mm-hmm. injury cases. Yeah, that happened to somebody in our small town in Rhode Island, this large intersection, which was right near uh, home for senior citizens. And the driver had the right traffic signal to make a left turn, but there was a senior citizen slowly making her way through the crosswalk with her walker, and he was going fast. The driver wasn't expecting a pedestrian in the crosswalk on his left turn, and he hit her and killed her. Wow. So tragic, so sad. He wasn't charged, but two families were ruined because of that. Kelly, you're right. The best thing is just to slow down, take it easy, and keep your eyes open. Mm-hmm. at these intersections. Yeah, you just have to be so careful and you need to drive defensively to protect yourself. And as a pedestrian, you have to be super careful. I mean, like I joke about my mom, but you're the one that's going to suffer some terrible consequences. So mm-hmm. being right doesn't get you very far. Yeah. All right, let's talk about some takeaways here. First one, slow down at intersections. If you're a pedestrian or a motorist, to give yourself more reaction time. And motorists, I notice this a lot in America, are not calibrated to see pedestrians. And folks in wheelchairs, I have to say, they, they're pedestrians also. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. if you're a motorist, be aware of pedestrians and, and people in wheelchairs and cyclists, too. Just mm-hmm. make sure you're calibrated for that. Also, I read about several tragic accidents when this happened. The car in front of you in the next lane over is stopped at a crosswalk, but the car behind that car decides to speed on through and not Mm -hmm. stop at the crosswalk. Mm -hmm. And their view is blocked. They don't see the pedestrian crossing in the crosswalk and then hit the pedestrian and sometimes kill the pedestrian. So if the car in front of you in the next lane is stopped, you stop also. And finally, you know, it is just common sense. You must assume that every intersection has crosswalks, whether they're painted or not painted, and yield the right-of-way to pedestrians if there are no traffic lights to guide you. Any further thoughts? Yeah, I got one, Marna. I think we, as a nation, we need to, you know, our roadways should be planned and built for more than just 
cars. And we're really at a, a change point here because I think within the next handful of years we're going to see a lot more self-driving vehicles. So the landscape's about to change. We really ought to design our roadways for manned vehicles, unmanned vehicles, uh, pedestrians, cyclists, everybody, because uh, some places that's been ignored. And I, I just think as we move forward here, we've, we've got to be a little smarter about this. So I hope we begin to see that more and more. Yeah. And that's going to be a shift on many levels. Right. Not just physical plant. You know, one more thing I want to bring up is that a lot of things, we've discussed this before, but COVID has been a driving uh, influence this last year. And I mentioned the main street in Breckenridge, Colorado a moment ago and how pedestrians ruled that street, and that was by design. Well, what they did this summer was they shut the street to vehicular traffic. They allowed deliveries uh, during certain early morning hours, but uh, otherwise they gave the street to the pedestrians. And uh, I've not been there because we haven't traveled, but you know, I, I hear it's really worked out well because again, there is the means to bypass that street. And so now they've just made this whole shopping and restaurant area and the people who live there made it a much more vibrant place. Well, so, I like that idea. Yeah. In fact, my daughter spent a year in Germany after high school, and when we went to visit her, their downtown center is closed to vehicular traffic. If you need to get to stores, you you walk or you take the bus. The bus does go on the roads, and it's lovely. And you know, Mike, I was going to tell you, when we both lived at West Point in the 90s, here we have an installation with more pedestrians per square foot than anywhere. Yeah. And it was a dangerous place for a pedestrian. There was, really? there was no consciousness of crosswalks there at all. Really? As That's somebody funny. said, pedestrians are targets at West Point. <laughs> <laughs> wow. You, I, could sit, you could stand there at a crosswalk see, for a long time, and nobody would let you cross. Yeah, that's funny, Marna. I don't, I don't, that's not something I remember from that time. I guess I must have been like Kelly's mom. I just stepped out and dared them to hit me, you know, <laughs> so. Yeah, sometimes I did that too, but most <laughs> times I had a baby stroller and I just wasn't willing to take that risk. Right, right, right. <laughs> okay, moving on to roundabouts, or you might know them as traffic rotaries. These are fairly new things to Americans, and I think that's why Americans have such a hard time with them. Now, I cut my driving teeth in Savannah, where they have downtown squares, which follow the same rules, sort of. I confess I still get confused when I enter a rotary with two or more lanes, and I can't decipher the hieroglyphics painted on the roundabout lanes. This quote, taken from Notes from a Small Island by Bill Bryson, about traveling in England is a great description. He writes, My experiences with rental cars are that they never let you leave a city without first giving it a chance to say goodbye. Mine took me on a long tour through Bosworth and Hinckley, swinging past the struggling car factory at Oakley, and taking me twice around a roundabout before flinging me like a spacecraft into planetary orbit back towards town. So, flung like a spacecraft into planetary orbit, that's often how I feel at complex roundabouts. Two things, Mike. Tell us, what are the guiding principles for navigating roundabouts? And secondly, what are some survival strategies if you find yourself hopelessly confused and stuck <laughs> in a planetary orbit? <laughs> for example, in the roundabouts in Washington, D.C. 
Yeah, I tell you, gotta love Bill Bryson. Okay, Marna. So, what are the guiding principles? Um, and oh, I should we should say the reason <laughs> I'm asking Mike this is because he's spent a lot of time in Germany and other European countries and traveling, and he's yeah. seen a lot of roundabouts. You know, roundabouts are generally much newer in the United States. And they, it's my understanding that kind of came into the urban planning world somewhere like in the late 80s, early 90s. And now we see a fair number of them. Some places we see a lot of them. And American drivers are still getting used to them. I'd say one of the kind of things you need to understand about traffic circles or roundabouts, well, they're different. They're different. I'll get to that in a minute. But roundabouts is that they're really, really good for people who know what they're doing. If this is part of your daily commute, and you've got to get through four or five intersections to get to or from work or to or from school, it can really shorten the length of your commute, and it can also make it safer if it's something that you're very familiar with so you know exactly where you're going. If you're new to a town and you don't know where you are to begin with, and then all of a sudden you get into not just one but perhaps a series of roundabouts, you know that's when you can get into roundabout hell. And, yes, uh, planetary start, orbit. Know, planetary <laughs> orbit, yeah. Start going in circles, which, oh, by the way, sometimes is a very good idea. You know, just give yourself a little break and do a couple laps. And I was going to say, is, <laughs> is, that, uh, is that your survival tactic? Well, it is. It is one of them. Just keep going around and kind of read the signs two or three times and figure out, you know, where you really want to go and then, you know, then make your exit. And the bottom line is, at the end of the day, if people know how to use them and they're they're not being difficult, let's say, they're safer and they're faster. Uh, and oh, by the way, you save some fuel. So they're a good thing in most cases. I see, I know one in our hometown here and we, you know, we're not an area of our country which is known for its innovation, I would say. And I tell you, it is brilliant and people have figured out how to use it and it takes a very complicated so a five-way intersection, not just a standard four, and it demystifies it. And having driven through that same intersection as a kid to and from school and waited at those interminable traffic lights, now you just pop into the circle and you pop out where you want and you're there much faster and much safer. So I'm, I'm a big fan, you know. Um, a reason I think Americans don't know how to use them is because they're so new. And a lot of people were taught how to drive by their parents who didn't know about traffic circles or roundabouts. But what's the overriding number one instruction for entering a roundabout? First thing is you yield to the person in the circle. If you're entering the circle, you do not have the right of way. Now that gets a little more complicated when the traffic circle or the roundabout has multiple lanes. But generally... Boy, does it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Generally, generally, always, let's say, in fact, you yield to someone who is already in the circle. And that allows the circle to keep turning, and then the circle is fed from its joining streets. That's really the way it works. So you should always be looking in our country where we drive on the right. I'm a little different in England, by the way, or the UK. Uh, you're always looking left. So when do you move into the center lane of the roundabout? Well, that gets a little tricky 
because everybody's moving. So everybody is already in a turn. By definition, you're already in a turn in a, in a roundabout, and then you need to slide over one lane, and that's that's just that's complicated driving. You know, you can't be multitasking when you're in a roundabout. So please put down your cell phone. Pay close attention. Now, oh, by the way, when we integrate pedestrians into roundabouts, oh, okay. That was my the next de- question. The degree <laughs> of difficulty just went way up. <laughs> so, so you're looking for the other cars, you're looking for pedestrians, and you're looking for your turn. <laughs> That's right. Where the hell am I? Which, you know. And we come back to that whole planetary orbit thing again. Yeah. Sometimes when my wife and I are traveling together and we're in a a strange city and we don't know the roads, she'll navigate, I'll drive, and she says, okay, second exit, second exit. Okay, that's one. That's one. Next exit. Next exit. Okay, right here. And uh, you know, play sort by of a, plays. Yeah, sort of a team <laughs> approach. Yeah, yeah. Now, that that may be that may be an indictment of my ability to uh, you know comprehend many things at the same time, but uh, it seems to work for us. So no, it's just it just tells us that there is a lot going on at roundabouts. Yeah, that's why I say for people who the roundabout is part of their daily routine, it's a thing of beauty. For someone who's new to town or just passing through. It can be very intimidating. But, you know, if you follow the principles and you're not unwilling to take a couple extra laps, it's pretty good. Yeah, that's a, a great fan. strategy. I'm a fan. I found a, a graphic on the Internet, an instructional graphic on driving roundabouts, and I'll post a link to it in our show notes. But the first two lines are circulate counterclockwise around the circle and traffic on your left, traffic coming from the left, has the right of way. So two guiding principles there. And I recommend um, all Americans read up on how to navigate roundabouts. We can all get better at it. Yeah. <laughs> it's dangerous enough as it is. I prefer them to intersections where you have to stop and go and stop and go and wait. And the, and the bottom line, from an urban planning perspective, they're a lot safer. My brother-in-law was in a very serious accident at a traditional intersection where somebody ran a red light and he got broadsided, T-boned in a car. Oh, boy. And, you know, the other, the the vehicle which ran the red light was moving at a, you know, pretty high rate of speed. Uh, He was not. And so, you know, that's not going to happen generally in a traffic circle because the car entering the traffic circle, I mean, it has to slow down. It's going to make a turn whether it wants to or not. Whereas in a traditional intersection, you know, you can, if you have the lights, you can blow right through. Remember, if you're entering the roundabout, you have to yield to the traffic that's already in there. That's a that's a key understanding. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You don't get to blow through. You know, urban planners look at it this way. They say a traffic circle or a roundabout is going to they're going to be potentially more fender benders but far fewer fatalities. Okay, Maybe. so it is a safer oh, mechanism yeah. for yeah, traffic. It def- definitely is. It's definitely okay. and, and it, it's also safer for pedestrians because it slows everybody down. You slow down every single time you go through, but you have a more a, a higher chance of not waiting for a significant period of time at a light. That's the trade-off. So okay. slower, continuous motion as opposed to a potential stop. Kelly, is there anything you want to add? Well, I mean, when I think about roundabouts, I think of National Lampoon's European Vacation, where Chevy <laughs> yeah. Chase or Clark Griswold <laughs> is just going round and round for hours at that roundabout in London. <laughs> you laugh, absolutely. but I'd probably be doing the same it's thing. It's absolutely hysterical. That's what I think of. I kind of disagree with Mike in a couple of ways. First, having lived in New Jersey for almost 10 years, and I love New Jersey, but 
oh my God, they have all these roundabouts. And they actually had their first roundabout in 1925. So they've had them a long time. And the reason they established them is because of what you said, Mike, is that they felt that it was more efficient and it was a better way to keep traffic moving. Now they're moving away from them because they've, <laughs> as I sometimes say, it, it's just a shit show trying to get through one of these. I mean, there's like sometimes six different heavily traveled roads kind of flowing into the roundabout. And New Jersey really doesn't have a strong, clear statute that addresses how to handle and how to navigate um, a roundabout. So when I kind of did a little research, which I should have done when I lived in New Jersey, because I struggled so much with the roundabouts, they just have kind of a right of way at intersection statute nothing specifically on point with regard to rotaries or roundabouts. And in fact, the first thing that came up in my search was an attorney, a New Jersey attorney, who they entitled um, on Google as a New Jersey roundabout accident lawyer. Oh, it's a subspecialty. (laughs) Apparently. And here's, here's what he says about traveling in a roundabout, which is the opposite of what you all said. And I have to say, I experienced this. I'm going to read. He says, since a circle is comprised as a series of uncontrolled intersections, the driver to the right entering the circle has the right of way. So I found I had been taught that when you approach the intersection, you yield, right? People already in the circle have the right right of way. But not New Jersey. Okay, that's a point of confusion. Yeah, I don't. I don't want to get too ugly here, Kelly. But is this a, a uh, is this just a comment on the quality and temperament of New Jersey drivers? <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm just saying it's. I'm just saying it's super confusing, and I'm with Clark Griswold in just really struggling with roundabouts. And in New Jersey, I'm just saying that people go flying into them because they think they have the right of way, and you're in the middle of the roundabout, and you have to come to a stop. Yeah, well, they didn't didn't get the memo. They didn't get the memo. Um, (laughs) You know, there's a memo out there. They should read the damn thing, okay? Gotcha. (laughs) No, I'm. You bring up an interesting point. And when they don't work well, I tell you, they can be they can be hellish. But I tell you, they they do have a place, in my opinion, in uh, good sound traffic management and urban planning. Although I would just my nightmare of roundabouts is kind of like uh, Chevy Chase is going to Europe, uh, the United Kingdom in particular, Ireland also, if you want to throw that in there. But uh, I remember one time I was on a flight from New York to Heathrow. Heathrow is kind of notorious. That's the main London airport for its roundabouts. They call it um, a hell of one large roundabout, or the British would call it a rotary, which contains multiple smaller rotaries. But anyhow, I get off a flight. I'm jet lagged. I get a uh, oh, rental wait a car. Mike. Yeah. Rotaries within rotaries. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's it's pretty special. Look at that, some. Uh, look at some about uh, a satellite. Show. Yeah. Look at look at a satellite. You know, over a broad area. But uh, but anyhow, I get my rental car. You know, you don't get much of a choice sometimes, and so it's a standard. Okay. Now I can drive a standard. Haven't driven one lately, but then things really changed when I realized I was shifting with my left hand because I was sitting yeah. on the right side of the vehicle. Oh, yeah, boy. that would be hard. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then I'm driving on the left, and I get spit out of the rental car a lot, driving on the left, and all of a sudden I'm confronted by not just one, but probably four or five rotaries 
i.e. roundabouts, in quick succession. I'm not fully on board because I'm jet-lagged. I'm in a strange car. I'm shifting with my left hand. Oh, my Lord. At that point, I vowed that I would never land in the U.K. and drive on the first day. Um, yeah, I think you said that you don't yeah. do that anymore. No, I don't. I That's don't. a I'd good be, idea. I'm older and smarter. Um, yeah. Fair to say less, you were a hazard on the road? <laughs> perhaps less hurried. <laughs> well, you know, I just sort of like I took cover on the left and I just stayed there. Just stay left all the time. And even if that meant taking a left turn, I didn't want to. Just keep on the left. <laughs> <laughs> So. You didn't. You didn't get to your destination, but oh, you I did. did survive. I did. I did. I was actually going to this very rural place, way in the middle of nowhere, and so I'd gotten out of London. I'd driven for a couple hours. I was probably, you know, even worse shape by then. I'm on this like country lane that's really designed just for one vehicle at a time, and I hadn't had an accident. I hadn't had an issue at that point. And I'm coming down this country lane, and there's another car approaching from the opposite direction. And, you know, at that point, I lost it. I lost my cool, and I went right. Now, I should have gone left. You had to get off the road. You both had to get off the road to pass. And I went right, which was my reflex. I should have gone left. Didn't hit him, but he had some choice words for me. So, anyhow, I made it. Parked the car. Didn't get back in it for three days. So... (laughs) studied British traffic patterns before I got back in it. (laughs) A lot of new neural pathways firing there. Yeah, unbelievable. Scary. Well, I want to close by quoting our friend Vincent O'Neill, who has taught driver's training in Massachusetts, which is a tough place to learn how to drive. And his instructor said... talk about bad drivers. (laughs) I know. Oh, my God. Come on, Kelly. Known as massholes. (laughs) Whoa, whoa, whoa. Wait a second. Wait a second. This is a family show, people. Family show. They are seriously bad drivers. His driving instructor said, and just try to imagine this in a, a Boston accent, you have to know what you're doing at a rotary or you're going to get massacred. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So hopefully in uh, years to come, as we Americans learn how to negotiate roundabouts, it will be a good thing. Let's keep the conversation going. Leave us an email or a voicemail at our website, www.ethicsandetiquette.com. Check out our Instagram, at Ethics Etiquette, and our Facebook page, Ethics and Etiquette. If you want to support what we're doing, subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts, and we'd appreciate it if you took time to leave a positive review while you're there. And thank you to all of you who keep recommending Ethics and Etiquette to your friends and family. For Kelly Halligan-Zimmerman and Mike Derrick, I'm Marna Ashburn, And this is Ethics and Etiquette, a thought-provoking dialogue about everyday dilemmas. It's good to be with you, and please join us again. New episodes are posted on the first and third Wednesday of every month. See you then.